Welcome to Technology Forward, where we explore trends and developments in the additive manufacturing industry. Hi, everyone, and thank you for listening. A lot has happened within the additive manufacturing industry over the past couple of years. Recently, the World Economic Forum, in collaboration with ETH Zurich and Fraunhofer IGCV, IPT, and IAPT, released a report on the current state of AM and its future. Their goal was to provide a realistic understanding of what AM can deliver today and why some are achieving that potential while others are not, as well as define the most probable near-term future production scenarios and what needs to happen to make those scenarios a reality. Here to discuss some of these findings is Pat Carey, Senior Vice President of Strategic Growth for Stratasys. So thank you for being here with me today, Pat. You're welcome. So first of all, what are some of the roadblocks along, I guess we'll call it the value chain that AM can address? Interesting question. So I, I was thinking about the answer to this and, and really look back at a lot of the value props that 3D printing actually has brought traditionally and then how they apply as we move from prototyping to production, as we call it, right? So being able to produce a part locally is a big deal, especially when you know we're all dealing with parts on boats coming from China. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Right. So, so can I produce this part locally or this tool? You know, a lot of tooling, et cetera, molding, tooling. Personalization is a big deal. You know, as we're going from mass production to more personalized production, you know, additive manufacturing really brings it to bear. And we're and we're seeing a lot of companies go from mass production saying, I don't have a choice. I will, I will do some local production and personalization. <laughs> the next item is is you know being able to iterate. So there's a lot of challenges with the supply chain that are creating uh, opportunities to iterate. And what I mean by that is been working with a number of product design firms that were following a traditional process of product design. So looking at a prototype, looking at a functional prototype, et cetera. And they were unable to do that with all the supply chain issues. So they said, we need to do something different and, and upgrade our our uh, new product development introduction process. So a lot of them are, we're seeing are using additive manufacturing to, you know, they wanted to change their processes, but changing processes in big companies is very difficult. As we know, there's a lot of things around that. Uh, they had no choice. So we're seeing a number of large companies entertain new, what we call NPI processes, new design processes, which includes faster iteration or skipping whole steps of iteration. One of the, one of the fun complaints I've heard from some customers is actually, our new product process is faster than our bureaucracy can keep up. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting to hear that from customers like Pat, your, your technology is really helpful, but it's, it's so fast that, that the paperwork can't keep up. So it's kind of interesting, but iteration is really, really important. I'm going to and interrupt then, you here real quick, just a second. So is it possible that AM can eliminate some of this bureaucracy? Well, I think so. I think so, because as we know, actually, my next point was around Part of the design process has always been around the manufacturing process. So yeah. if we know we're going to injection mold that part, we know we're going to CNC it. We know the, the limitations of that process and the design process has been limited by that. Not only people actually really thought about it. Maybe they thought about it 20 or 30 years ago when these, when these processes came into the marketplace. But as we get into more additive in these processes, people saying, well, why do we do it that way? We do it because the injection molding process required us to do it that way, or the CNC, and there's a number of these processes that required people, and it created a, a box around this, and people saying, I'm free of this box. So the design process is very different, and it has to do with both the, you know, customization, iteration, design process, those, those three are really not separated for a lot of companies right now. 
They're saying, I can actually do this. I can have an idea and have a part or a product that looks and feels just like it in the customer's hands in a week. It's unbelievable. And I'm see, I'm actually seeing this happen. I wish I could quote the customers, right? And some of this you'll yeah. see come up in the year, but I wish you, and, and these are name brands that you and I deal with on a daily basis. You mentioned that um, some of these companies, they're skipping iteration altogether. Did I hear that correctly? They're skipping steps of iteration. Yes. Oh, okay. they, have, they have these defined steps that we need to do, a, you know, uh, depending what it is. We need to look at this stage of the process, a, a prototype, and even the prototypes we were seeing were just like white or gray prototypes. And then it becomes a functional prototype. And then there's the, how does it feel prototype? You know, how does it look? How does it fit into a package prototype? So they were going through all these processes and, and some of those, and those, some of those processes were decades old and they'd always done it that way. Well, the supply chain challenges, COVID challenges, Trump trade wars, all this stuff blew that up, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so, and there's like, we, we can't do it anymore. Meanwhile, we need to deliver products to the marketplace. The market needs these products. So they were forced to change. I think um, that's fascinating that the pandemic did that. That kind of did us a good turn. Yeah, I, I tell people from a 3D printing perspective, COVID's been great. I mean, there's <laughs> issues, right, we'll deal with. But in terms of, as a disruptive technology coming into manufacturing, which is, you know, manufacturing is run by engineers whose job is to reduce risk and make quality products. Those two meet, it, it, it's always a challenge. We've always dealt with that. But there's been a lot of choices have been eliminated. There was no, there were, have been no choices. You had to do something to get a product to market. So we saw people adopt stuff and like, wow, this is really interesting. This really works. Why are we doing it the old way? <laughs> okay. Kind of, let's advance a little bit here. What kind of industrialization steps are needed for AM to reach its full potential? Yeah, good question there. Um, part of it is prototyping has been on the side, right? Literally, we go to, you know, in fact, when I started here, you go to companies and the RP shop was outside the manufacturing shop, it was a little shop. It was literally on the side. But think about the printers were primarily standalone printers, had some post-processing with it, but it was standalone. And they need to become what I call inline, meaning they need to be part of the manufacturing line. And we know the manufacturing line is a complex software and data-driven process nowadays. Millions and probably billions of dollars have been spent making these manufacturing lines that way because we need to know what's going in, what's going out, how's happening to the data, am I collecting data, depending on if it's aerospace, automotive, am I collecting data on the part and storing that data for warranty or you know, other issues. And to plug into that, is a big deal to have the have the printer give data and get data and then store data in a standard format. So, so connectivity is part of that. You know, creating standard data and storing it. Those are big. Those are big processes that need to be adapt adapted. And a lot of the three D companies are just starting that. Another one I call is serviceability. So if I go on a factory floor with a printer, I need to match that serviceability of all the other products on that floor. And that's, that means either train the company that's there to fix it or have a response time to fix it, especially if it's key to a product, you know, if it's key to a product, the downtime of the printer is a big deal. This is a big challenge for 3D printing, right? Because we come from a prototyping paradigm of, well, we can get there, we can fix it, or you can go online, depending on the printing company, you go online and find the answer on a blog. Well, that's not going to work on a factory. So those types of challenges around serviceability, reliability, and then repeatability. 
does this does the printer constantly make will it make the same part over and over exactly the same like injection molding well like cnc well because those are computer driven right so those are some of the challenges around industrialization that we're seeing the industry take on and we're seeing the industry get together and have these discussions so it's coming but those are those are some of the challenges i don't think we need to pave any new ground because we can watch what everybody else is in the factory's done and to be honest, the customers tell us what we need to do. They say, if you want to be here, you need to do this, 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 this. It's just how do we adapt to it? And then how do we as an industry start to agree, this is what we're going to do. Is 3D printing additive manufacturing too disruptive to manufacturing right now? I don't think so. I don't think so. A lot of it is going to be driven by the materials. So if we're bringing a material to manufacturing that they're already no nylon's the easiest one to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. Polycarbonate. So no, I don't think so. I think the advantages we're where we're seeing this to be honest. We're seeing the advantages outweigh the effort, the gap. Can additive manufacturing be advanced or developed to the point where it fits in with traditional manufacturing processes the way the manufacturing people want it to do so? Yes. But one of the common discussions I have with executives is it's not a replacement. It's not a like-to-like -like replacement. Right. You can't take one out and put another in. As we all know, design for additive at the very beginning of the process is key to additive uh, economically being viable. Not always. I mean, we can replace tools. Uh, we can replace a lot of things online just economically, meaning I can get it there quicker. I can maybe probably get it there cheaper. But if we look at mass production, we need to start at the beginning, design for additive, take advantage of additive, not just say, I can take this part that I'm going one way and replace it with another part. That normally won't work economically and it doesn't take advantage of additive. So that, that's the caution I always tell people. But if we start up front, you know, so the earlier discussion, so, so COVID helped because we had a time problem. People, these, especially these large companies that introduce products on a monthly basis, when you're not introducing new products to consumers, they get bored and consumers, <laughs> had a lot of time on their hands, right? So there was a lot of pressure to introduce new products and they had quite new traditionally. So that, so that changed the world a little bit and made an advantage for additive. And I think we'll see that on the manufacturing floor as well. When we think about automotive, going from making millions of the same car to tens of thousands of the same car. So personalization, customization. So as the company's processes change, it makes it additive uh, more favorable more appealing than in the past. And they need to make 2 million of these identically. Well, we're not going to compete with us, an old process for that. Right. So the markets are changing, I think, to our advantage. One of the um, questions or comments, criticisms that comes up all the time with additive is about post-production needs. What efforts are underway to address post-production with AM to make that process more efficient and more cost-effective? Yes, and I think it is a fair criticism. We've spent a lot of decades, actually, you know, we're over 30 years old as Stratasys, <laughs> getting reliable parts out of the printer. But in, when it was just prototypes, you know, we mostly did sanding. We mostly did sanding and some painting, right? Uh, wasn't a lot of thought put into post-processing. But now that we're going into uh, environments, production environments, meaning airplanes and cars and, and consumer devices, there's an expectation of durability and an expectation of quality. If I'm a manufacturer, I'm making a consumer device that somebody's gonna have you know, in front of them on, in their hand, the quality of the device is part of the brand. 
And if I have a part on that, I want that that part needs to carry that level of quality, right? So the so the the uh, the expectations gone way up. So a lot more focus on post production, as well as with some of the newer technologies like powder diffusion, DLP. Uh, as those parts ramp up in production, again, post-processing is a big factor because post-processing can really slow down the additive process and it can add a lot of value or, or detract a lot of value. So we're, Stratus is experiencing a big focus on post-processing and we're seeing it in the industry. We're seeing some leaders come out of the industry and really how they integrate back into the printer, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it's a fair criticism and it, it's a, a big opportunity in my view. Do you think it's going to be solved fairly soon that there's going to be new technology or something introduced within the next five years that will smooth post-production? I don't think there's one answer. Just like there's not one great process in additive, there's many processes to fix to, to fit many uh, needs. I think there'll be many new processes in, in additive post-processing. The big trend will be integration with the printer, though. So can I pass information from the printer about the parts to the post-processing and then custom this so the post-processing can be customized? You know, in a lot of cases, we look in the old world, it's just a tank of something, water, glycol, alcohol to clean the parts, all was. It's just a dumb tank. Now we're starting to see the post-processing process actually gather information and develop information around those parts and then pass be able to pass that information along with the part. So a part goes on an airplane or in a car, it's possible today to trace back where, where was that made? Where was it post-processed? What was happening in the post-processing? And you know, we're in the polymer space. So heat has a lot to do with polymerization. So what happened heat-wise or what happened to the surface? And did that surface make it more or less biocompatible, more or less food grade? As additive goes into new industries, there's new sets of requirements, FDA requirements, et cetera, et cetera. So post-processing can help or hinder a lot of that. So a lot more tracking of the data and storing of the data. I'm seeing control systems put in post-processing machines. So rather than being a tank, literally with a drain, it's actually a smart box that knows what's going on. Hmm. So we're starting to see that. It's interesting. Could you say that additive is driving digital manufacturing or is additive adapting to digital manufacturing? Well, that's a good question. That's a really hot tough question. I think it's both again. Sorry, it's, it depends. Yeah, it depends, Ezra. I feel like a lawyer. But uh, I think in a lot of cases it is driving because if we just digitize the old stuff, well, that's kind of kind of interesting. The digital twin's interesting. You know, CAD models were always digital, even though CAD and CAM were always digital. Even when we go back 30, 35 years, they were always digital, but they drove an analog process, right? Right. So we've digitized that whole thing, but I think additive is driving it. And where I think this will go is if we look, you know, again, materials are the most important thing here, either metal or polymer, the material is the most important thing. We're going to start to see an era where the materials are developed to fit the product. Customers come to us, can you make a material that does look, feels like this? That's going to start to happen where the chemistry will drive the, the end product will drive the chemistry, not here's ABS, figure out what you can make with it. The material drove the product. Now the product will drive the material. And we will be able to make materials on the fly or change the materials or affect the materials on the fly. That's what's going to start happening. And that will be true digitization. Yeah, I kind of remember, I think it was the old object systems were able to make materials kind of on the fly, or at least they were experimenting with that. 
Correct. Digital materials to so be able to mix materials. Right. Yeah. And we're seeing, you know, we've done some experiments. We've had some of these demonstrator systems out there over the last, you know, three or four years. So they're able to mix materials at the point of extrusion or able to mix the materials at the point of jetting. So we're seeing some of that. And then we're, we're talking to customers who have requirements. And can I put different materials at different places in a part, a big part? Because this place is a different stress and I need more something here or less something there. And we're seeing with a lot of, you know, we talked to a lot of universities and, and then in the bio space, right? Can I put down material that looks like bone or looks like skin or looks like cardiac or, or nerve material? We're starting to see that around jetting as well. So you see a lot of this starting to come saying a lot of the limitations have been removed. And then, the, you know, the smart customers start to like, you know, do stuff with it. I tell people, we make, we make a tool. It's amazing what humans can do with a tool. We don't make a product, we make a tool that we give to humans and then see what they do with it. That's what's kind of cool about 3D printing. It's gonna be really amazing to see how that changes everything when people really start understanding, yes, you can create a new material or something on the fly. Yes. Yeah, and we're starting to see biomaterials come in. You know, I'm seeing more and more focus on materials that are, you know, sustainable, made from current fibers or made from current um, um, plant-based things. You're starting to see a lot of that come because, you know, being able to take a plant apart or fiber apart and put it back together, that's also very interesting uh, for where we want to go for sustainability. Now, I've seen the industry, there was a, a period where the industry was heavy into technical developments and introductions, and now it seems to be moving much more into establishing uh, businesses and buying and selling each other and, and growing in that direction. What do you think is going to be the next phase for AM? Are we going to go back to more technological developments, or are we going to be integrating some of these um, more businessy style formats, what's coming up next for AM? What I would call ecosystems. So I think a lot of the players are established. There's, you know, as we look at any industry, I spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley over the decades. So you, you kind of watch the cycle of business. So a lot of innovation on single, you know, you know, startups with singular dual innovations, they get grouped into multiple innovation companies. And then those multiple innovation companies start to form ecosystems because they can't innovate any faster and can't do everything. And, you know, if we look at, you know, when I talked about connectivity, that's really networking. So when a printer goes under a factory floor, it's networking. Well, if I need to network my device to somebody else's, I better have a common language. I better have a common data format. And that requires an agreement, which is an ecosystem. So we're, st we're starting to see ecosystems. We're a tiny industry, relatively, right? We're tiny. And to be honest, we're mostly friendly with each other and we're seeing a lot of ecosystems and partnerships develop. It's kind of exciting to see at this time, this period of it, it's an, a 35 year old industry, but it's very small and uh, everybody wants to be successful. And we watched how technologies progress, progressed over these years. And I think we can follow that building ecosystems, building standards, agreeing how to do stuff. The next thing will be these ecosystems of partners because we're all, even the biggest players like us are tiny, right? And how do we adapt? And then what happens from here 10 years from now, you know, with the big manufacturing giants and 3D printing, who knows what will happen there? Okay. Any final thoughts? It's an exciting time right now in additive. We went through the hype period of 13, 14. We went through the uh, financial hype period of uh, 2021, right? And uh, 
now it's it's all out there. We can all see how each other is doing, growing, shrinking. You know, we can't, it's not just about press releases anymore, but we can look at each other's numbers. And I think there will be a period of rationalization in the next six months to a year uh, that will really help the market move ahead. Well, Pat, I thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. Great seeing you again.